You've been there, haven't you? Dry land? You know where it is. Yeah, I know where it is. And, uh, and we're going? You and I are. Kid, we got to pitch over the side. What? to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 57 and 58, which begin with Helen not believing any of the Mariner's lies and end with Enola going below deck. When we wrapped on last week's episode, the Mariner was spinning this yarn about how he got all of this dirt from an atoll that the smokers hit. And here at the top of this week, Helen points out that the smokers don't leave anything behind after a raid, especially dirt, which we got to see in action earlier. We did, in part. We did not get to see the completion of the raid. Mm -hmm. She says that the raiders don't leave anything behind. Is that literal? Like they pillage everything from that atoll and sink the rest? I can't imagine anything on there isn't pillageable because it's all gathered stuff anyways i know i've complained about the pillaging strategies of the smokers in the past and i know that the ledger guy said oh we sank a few but the practice of sinking an atoll and sending all of those raw materials to the bottom of water world ocean place it's just an ocean yeah the bottom of the ocean is so ridiculous it's like Stealing a car, emptying the glove compartment, and then pushing the rest of it off a cliff. In a world absent of law enforcement and detectives and things like that, you keep the whole car. Because even if you don't drive it around, there are spare parts all over the place. Yeah. I would love to see a scene where the D's comes into view. After everything is said and done, the D's comes into view And hitches up next to what's left of the atoll, and they just start ripping it apart and categorizing materials. Mm -hmm. And they've got a pile, a whole section of the Ds that is just scrap metal. And most of the atoll is going to go in that pile. I would love to see the logistical process of that. And actually, I believe that we do get to see some aftermath in the coming weeks. The first time we go inside the D's, we'll see in episode 31. I believe three weeks from now. And there is a lot of welding and maintenance construction going on. So that very well could be the case. And we just were not privy to see it. Yeah. Because that does seem to be a, yes, it happens, but it happens in the background. It's not something we necessarily need to watch. We don't need- I suppose. I mean, for plot, it really does not matter. But for my own entertainment, I enjoy that sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So what we need is a Waterworld version of Koyana Skatsky where it's just time-lapse footage set over Philip Glass music. So we can see the smokers dismantling the atoll and adding it to the Ds. Yeah. 
I was going to say, we don't need to see the construction of the hospital. We just need to see the drama of the sexy doctors inside. That is true. (laughs) What surprises me about Helen's statement is that the smokers would not leave behind dirt. In the shots of the D's that we were just talking about, I don't see any sort of growing situations. No, neither do I. And I don't understand that. Yeah. How are they feeding themselves? You've got such a large piece of real estate as an oil tanker, and you're not taking dirt from atolls and incorporating them into some sort of field-type setup. You yeah. can cover the entire top of that deck. Sure, you want to use it as a runway for your skyboat, but put some planters out there. Right? You're stealing right? fruit and branches. you got to put those branches on something. Back on the attack on the atoll, we saw them cutting the branches off the big tree mm-hmm. that was the basis of the organo barge. They don't value live plants. Well, maybe smaller live plants, but like this big old tree. How rare on Waterworld must a tree of that size be? Right? So take the whole organo barge just as is and assimilate it onto the Ds. It's just one of those things. They did it because chopping up that tree and not caring about the plants is a villainous move. Mm-hmm. That's why they did it. We don't really need to think about it any deeper, even yeah. though that's what we're here for. I guess you could say that the smokers would take dirt from Atolls so that way they could give it to their spies like the Nord, and he could go into an Atoll with a handful of dirt and be like, I am here to trade. Here is a handful of dirt. Oh, that is a valuable piece of spycraft. Yeah. You don't Harkening s- back to Barter Town, you can't get into the Barter Town unless you have something to barter. Yeah, you don't so, send James Bond to Monaco without a little bit of gambling money. That's true. It would probably be wise to not give him any gambling money, maybe <laughs> just enough to survive, but that's a whole other series of movies. Real quick, I want to address this conversation Helen's demeanor Mm -hmm. is weird, right? Weird how? So she's sitting on the boat watching him work, Mm -hmm. and she's got her head tilted down, sometimes quite a lot, and she's squinting in the sun, which of course, there's no stopping that, but the way she's squinting and smiling, it's almost like a smirk while she's asking him these questions. It just seems... Ever so slightly deranged or manic. (laughs) Just slightly. And I know those are strong terms, but it just seems off. I look at Helen in this scene, and obviously she's asking about dry land. From Helen's perspective, she probably assumes that the Mariner knows a lot more than he's letting on. That he is being coy or secretive or protective of dryland in some way. And so her efforts are all about drawing that information out of him. And I would say not assuming what his answer will be, but putting on an air of let's drop the joke. We're all on the same page here. You know, Don't lie to me. I know it's a thing. I'm on board with that. She is very suspicious of him. And I think it's a mistake for her to go into this conversation thinking she knows the answers. Because she's right, he is lying. But what she thinks is the truth is still a lie. And she's trying to draw it out of him 
I think the Mariner realizes that she's doing this when he says, yeah, I know where it, meaning Dryland, is. And Helen brightens up. Her hopes skyrocket when he talks about knowing where Dryland is. And her demeanor immediately drops when he talks about how he and Helen will go to Dryland, but they got to pitch Enola off the side. Yeah, I <laughs> I know that the Mariner doesn't really have a sense of humor. <laughs> so I know that this isn't the case, but this feels like he's just poking her to get a reaction out of her. Oh, absolutely. For his own entertainment. Absolutely. Because he never actually tries to do this. Not in this scene that's going to last for this week and all of next week and a little bit of the week after. He never actually acts on it. So he's just trying to get a rise out of her for his own entertainment. And okay, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) It did strike me the blatant lie Mm -hmm. that he knows where dry land is. Well, it's not a blatant lie because... How is it not a blatant lie? He knows where the land that used to be dry land before the deluge is. No, that is not a loophole. That's not dry land. If he had said, I know where dirt is, that would be loophole-esque. Okay, well, she framed it as we're going to the place where you got your dirt from. And he got his dirt from the bottom of the ocean. No, no. She specifies dry land by name. You are looking for a loophole, and I'm not going to let you because it's not okay. there. He lied to her. But later on in this movie, he says, I'm going to take you to Dryland, and he puts her in the diving bell. And That's then, not Dryland. And then she looks around, and she's like, I had no idea that Dryland was below the water the whole time. Nope, that's not a loophole. That is bad writing. <laughs> He's not getting away with this one. Okay. He lied to her. He knew he lied to her. There was no loophole available. There's so little sense to his actions and words in this scene. And I guess I have to chalk it up to him having a very poor sense of humor and trying to joke around with her. And it comes off badly. It does. It comes off as just him being an asshole. And I guess... Maybe a lot of the things that I don't like about him are because he has a bad sense of humor. It's a specific sense of humor just for himself. So perhaps a lot of the things he does that we don't like are him entertaining himself. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point of view. We've talked about in the past how desalinating water isn't that hard. Mm -hmm. And he makes a comment, points over to his contraption. If you can call it that. And says, we're lucky to get a half a ration of hydro out of that. Yeah, his filter is busted all to hell. Yeah. Several of the glass orbs are broken. The tubing is all separated. The entire thing has separated from the mounting where it was. It's not in a good way. And if you're watching the theatrical cut of this, the broken filter is a huge deal because... It's only in the extended edition that they fix the filter. Oh, okay. So their situation is much more desperate without a scene that is coming up later. For sure. He also indicates that wherever they are going, wherever he is actually taking them, because he's not actually taking them to dry land, it's going to take 12 days. Mm -hmm. Does he actually have a destination in mind that's going to take 12 days? I never get the sense that he has a legit destination. Now, granted, 
they do sail to a trading post because it essentially is a post sticking out of the water. Yes, they do. For trading. But I'm not entirely sure that that was where he was headed this entire time. It always seems a bit convenient because, oh, I've been attacked so many times. I need to go to a trading spot. That's how I always saw it. So maybe he does have a specific point that he's sailing to in the map in his mind that is going to take 12 days. But no one can go 12 days without water. Right. Or did he just pick a number of days that were beyond the limits? Yeah. To support this argument, this legitimate argument. He's not wrong. Yeah. That the three of them can suffer and die anyways, or they can toss somebody overboard and give the other two a chance. Yeah. Better one of you dies now than both of you die slow is incredibly morbid. It is. It is very morbid. And that is a moral judgment that has been discussed at length in the world. There have been countless situations like shipwreck and on a boat with no provisions and Mm -hmm. decisions have been made. And those decisions have run the gambit of everybody holding on or people being killed and tossed overboard or people being killed and eaten. All sorts of ways has it gone. And as people who've never been in the situation, I'm not sure it's entirely fair of us to pass moral judgment upon people who are in that situation. Mm. I have no moral judgment upon like the Donner Party who were in dire straits and ended up eating people. I have no opinion on that whatsoever. And if they did decide that their provisions could not support three people and they got rid of one of them, I would not have a moral judgment to pass. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's a toughie. It is. And it's not an idea that Helen is willing to entertain. She is very adamant about how they saved his life. And he responds by saying, no, you got me out of the cage. You saved my life. I got you out of the atoll. I saved your life. We are even. Did you go back and look at the wording of the deal? The wording of the deal. Such as it was? If I get you out of this cage, you're taking us with you. Okay, so yeah, he did take them with him. There was no discussion of where they would go or how long he would keep them with him. Mm -hmm. So he did fulfill his end of the bargain. Yep, bargaining-wise, they are on completely even footing. Yeah. And unless Helen can offer something else for the actual passage to dry land, then, I mean, what's she going to do? It's not like... She had time to go back to her bunk on the atoll and grab stuff to barter with. And even if she did grab stuff to barter with, the Mariner took everything from that shop. He had all of the supplies that he could ask for. Granted, all of those supplies were then taken by the atollers when they imprisoned him because they're thieves. Yeah, and he also has lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. She offers her necklace, and he says, I've got better ones. (laughs) He doesn't need stuff. Oh my god, that necklace is so basic. (laughs) He needs provisions. He needs to repair his ship. Mm -hmm. He also needs other things. I don't appreciate that when Helen says that she, meaning Enola, can cook and can fish, that the Mariner fires back with, so can I, because... Sure, you can fish, you can cook, but if you have more than one person doing an activity, that activity can be more efficient, 
more bountiful. If you've got two people tending a line that a fish could latch onto, then that's double the potential for fish catching. But we see in a while. Oh yeah, we see in a while fishing and what that means, (laughs) and we see cooking and what that means, and he does it all by himself and has plenty of food for everybody. He does not need them to participate in fishing and cooking. He is incredibly self-sufficient. And if he wanted to, he could also provide for all three of them. The issue is water. Mm -hmm. That's the issue at hand. And his own patience. (laughs) I would say, oh, that's the one thing you can't just pluck out of the air. But it is literally something you can pluck out of the air. Yes. Just abandon the idea that the filter is the only way you can get clean water. There are so many other ways to get clean water, and he doesn't do them. He's devoted to that stupid little filter of his. Yep. So she is fishing around for something she can trade for passage, Mm -hmm. which is fair. The deal is complete. She paid for their escape. Now she needs to pay for their passage. And she gets an idea. Yeah. She gets in the mariner's way, stops him, realizes suddenly that she is touching him probably for the first time. Like, granted, she grabbed him by the collar, but all of that was very utilitarian, not true contact, Yeah, as I consider it. But here she is standing with her hand on his chest, and that's where that, oh. Right. I don't think she intended to, and maybe was a little startled by the physical contact, because I doubt she gets much physical contact either. Yeah. And I think what she tries to do first is try to establish some sort of sympathetic connection. She talks about after all that he went through back on the atoll, she can understand why he would want to pitch one of them over the side. She appeals to his sense of decency by pointing out that Enola is only a child, but then she shifts gears because the Mariner may be a man with gills, but he is still a man. Mm-hmm. Which prompts her to call out Anola go below. I was surprised that Anola, without question, without even hesitation, just goes below. Well, Anola raises her head probably because she's surprised to hear Helen calling out to her. Because Anola's just hanging out there, and all of a sudden, Helen calls out. And so that initial head turn is what I would interpret as a, how what, you're talking to me? Yeah. Because, yeah, once Helen turns and looks at Anola, she doesn't argue she doesn't protest she just goes below which seems uncharacteristic but we haven't really gotten a chance to know enola yet yeah our interactions with her so far have been her as an object the girl with the tattoo i think the only time we've seen helen and enola really interacting was when enola came out at the bar to get a piece of charcoal from the burner And she had a little bit of protest to Helen saying, go back inside. She was very adamant about getting a piece of charcoal and pushed back a little bit there. But I don't think there's anything necessarily keeping Enola outside. No. And I guess what I mean by uncharacteristic of Enola is more that it's uncharacteristic of a child her age. Mm. In my head, a child of that age just doesn't obey. They will ask why. Yes, and resist. 
It all depends on if that particular child would rather be inside or rather be outside. She hasn't complained about being kept outside, but inside is new. So maybe she's grateful for the chance to go inside mm. and thus does not complain. We get a quick peek inside the trimaran here at the end of this clip. And there are a few details that are really like. The first is not really a detail. It's more of an observation about the setting. It's that the inside of the trimaran below deck here in the center hall, it's so much larger than I expect it to be. Yeah, it is. Mostly in height. It is full height. There's a lot going on below the waterline. Mm -hmm. It's a little concerning that there are some holes in the hull, probably left over from bullets and whatnot. Yeah, they definitely look like bullet holes. But I like that there is some light streaming in from the side. Yes, it lights the room very nicely, very invitingly. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily see any artificial lights. There might be... Something akin to a lantern sitting on the bunk here on the left side of the shot, but I can't be entirely sure that's what it is. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Future views might illuminate that more for mm. us. But aside from the bunk, which is pretty bog standard, I'd say, for a boat like this, just a slab, a little bit of a rim on it to keep a mattress in place, and then bars keeping it up. You're not going to find something super fancy in a boat like this, especially however many hundred years after the apocalypse. But I really like getting to see the center turbine again. It's not spinning right now, but that's just because the sails are up. The egg beaters aren't engaged. Right. But from the looks of things, the Mariner essentially lives in the back half and doesn't go forward all that much because you've got the big X-shaped support beams and there is space beyond that, but there doesn't seem to be an easy way to get there. Not through here. Might there be another hatch? There very well could be. I'm just wondering what he uses that space for. Yeah, because that is still negative space. Maybe that's just extra stash space like we were talking about last week. Right. He's got all sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. I'm very much looking forward to next week when we get to see some of the things he's got down there. Exactly. Some of his trinkets and whatnot. A detail that I really like about the shot that we're still looking at is you can see the pipe-like enclosure up there at the top of the frame where the mast sits when it's underneath the deck. There is a rounded off section that it oh, nests yeah. into. Yeah, like a channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is some very nice set building, that it actually reflects the functionality of a completely different set. Right, because it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. I don't necessarily look at this and say, oh, this is part of the structure of the same boat that we've been looking at the entire time. But I'm also not entirely convinced that this isn't just that same boat, but they're shooting inside of it now. Oh, shooting inside the actual boat. Hmm. That hadn't occurred to me. I just assumed it was a set. I don't know. The space is just so small. Mm -hmm. It just seems for filmmaking purposes to be able to remove a wall would be priceless. Oh, absolutely. Especially when they're filming in the mid-90s and cameras are still rather large. Yeah. Let's put a pin in this here because we are going to start off next week with Enola continuing to explore below decks, 
Helen will also go full basic instinct with the Mariner, and he will find himself at the tail end of the episode at the wrong end of a gun. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 29. We'll see you next time.